You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. You can sit, you can relax, you can walk out, you can storm out, you can get a cup of tea, you can go to the bathroom, you can drive off and never come back if that is what you need in your journey. And I, I, I can't speak for everyone in the room, um, but I know for me, there is zero judgment if you do that, because this is your journey, this is your experience of being in a space that has, for a lot of people, been hard in the past. For some of you, you're just dipping your toe back into church and you're trying to work out, can I exist here in a way that doesn't make my body want to explode? And for some of you, you've never left the church. Church is just part of who you are, and it's been a really beautiful transition into being in a place like this. So I I, want to caveat the next three weeks by saying uh, this is your journey in as much as it is our journey. Uh, We want to be New City Church, a trauma-informed church, but I also want each of you to feel like you can have a space that is enriched by your own journey. Does that make sense? So I hope that, um, so all that to say, we're recording. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's no pressure to, uh, to be um, speaking, to put yourself out there at all. For those who I haven't met, um, I thought I should do a little bit of an introduction, um, more so than normal, because um, it's a bit weird to get to come along to a new space and then have somebody kind of prying back some really emotive topics. Um, my name's Joel. Um, <laughs> my mum and dad chose that one. Um, uh, I yeah, uh, am co-pastor here at New City Church with an incredible pastoral team. Um, been here for nearly two years. As of the 12th of July, it will be two years that New City Church has existed. Um, the reason that I'm really passionate about this topic around trauma-informed care, trauma-informed church, uh, Lindsay alluded to it a little while back in that I, I've gone through some things that were traumatic and over the next few weeks we'll share some of those within the church and also outside of the church. Um, and as I sat with those and worked through them, I didn't have a lens by which to understand what I was going through. I didn't have a lens or we think about them as hooks to hang things on in order to continue my healing journey until I started working as a social worker in trauma-informed spaces. And all of a sudden I was like, good golly gosh, this is what I've experienced. This is why I'm in so much agony, even though everything that I've been through is long in the past, or even though it doesn't feel like it should be impacting me too much, it's still here. Uh, And so I started exploring this concept of trauma. Fast forward, um, I ended up doing a PhD looking at queer experiences in conservative faith spaces. Um, I hadn't intended for it to be a PhD looking at trauma, but I guess I should have. Um, Like, looking back on that, um, as I listened to people, as I explored, as I read, as I went high and low to understand what is it that 
uh, is about Christian spaces at the moment that is hard. I, the, the label trauma, it, it went from my workspace where I predominantly work in developmental trauma with young people to being in an adult space around queer trauma. Um, and little plug slash prayer point, I'm hopefully signing a contract in the next few weeks to write a book called Queer Trauma Religious Identity. I'm really excited about it. Um, it's uh, um, buy it. Um, no, it will it will be approximately like $150 per book because it's an academic book for libraries. So borrow it from your local library. Thanks. Um, so that's the little plug. Um, but that's how I came across this concept. And from the very beginning, we wanted New City Church to be a space that was grounded in an understanding of of the impact of trauma. That doesn't mean that we wanted New City Church to never engage in hard things. Not the same thing. We wanted to recognize that trauma has an impact, but we don't stop there. We then say, okay, great. How do we heal it? How do we work towards getting better? Because I don't want to stay in those same old patterns any more than you do. And so we thought long and hard about creating where people can land. We used the analogy of a cushion for those of you who are around at that period, but to build a cushion so that people could just flomp, scientific word. People could just land and start their healing journey. And that, that is the, the dream, and it has been the dream of New City Church since its very beginning. Um, a couple of other things. I, I have the joy of getting to teach social work at a university and uh, train young social workers around how to deal with trauma. And so that is, that's where I, I spend a fair bit of my time throughout the week. Um, so it, it's a topic that I don't feel like an expert in, but I've done some thinking in. And I hope that as we go through this mini-series, you'll be able to take away some of those hooks some of this lens to look at your experiences or the experiences of people around you so that you can find healing, so that you can find a path that is uh, wholesome, holistic, good for you and where you're at at this point in your life. Um, I, uh, I want to caveat one little thing in that I'm going to... Uh, fall into lecturer mode a little bit as we go through quite deliberately because it's almost clinical having a lecturer up the front just speak ideas, concepts, and I think that's actually a safety mechanism that we use so that you can actually disassociate, disengage, and just listen. Uh, so from here on in, I'm going to kind of lecture, which is uncomfortable, but it's because it's a bit of an information dump with the hope that this isn't where it ends this is actually where it starts. We now have a conversation around what, what do we do with all of these ideas that have just been thrown up into the air that I might agree with, disagree with, sit with, resonate with. Yeah. So, so that's um, my little stylistic caveat. Um, and here's our plan for the next few weeks. <sighs> um, it feels gargantuan. Is that a word? Great. Um, it feels big. Um, this week, we're looking at what is trauma. We're going to take a very quick look at the Bible and trauma, how, how that sits together. Um, and then we're going to take a look at some broad principles of healing. Um, 
Now, this is, it kind of builds on itself each week. So if you're able to come for three weeks, you'll just get a little bit more out of it. Um, Week two, we're going to dive into some specifics. We're going to ask, okay, when somebody goes through a traumatic incident or a traumatic series of incidents or is just sitting in a space that is hard for a long period of time, what happens to the brain? What's going on? Uh, What happens to the body when that happens? Um, And then we're going to look at practices of healing. So the really specific nitty-gritty down in the dirt, every day, what do we do in order to keep moving forward? And week three, we're going to tie it up with kind of zooming out a little bit further with psychological safety as, as a concept and how we can embed that into New City Church. We're going to look at the power of connection, which we're going to touch on tonight, uh, but dive into that. And then we're going to wrap it up with creating new stories. Uh, so each week, we're going to hear some stories like what we've heard from Joanna tonight, Um, And we're going to start thinking about, well, what does it mean to actually rewrite those narratives um, as we work together as a church for each other? So that's that's where we're heading. Um, I'm going to invite you to take a few deep breaths um, before we really jump in. Um, For me, I like to ground myself by putting my feet on the ground. That's my practice. Um, But for you, if you feel comfortable just taking some really deep breaths in week two, we're going to talk about breathing and why, why people practice it. Um, so anyway, where you're at, take uh, a deep breath in. Hold it for a moment and breathe out. Take another deep breath in and out. And you're going to do that two more times in your own time. Okay, next slide. Uh, It feels like this is a good space to start. Um, New City Church has a vision that all would find refuge and life in Jesus. That was a vision that we spoke about as a board and when we were just starting to think about New City Church. And for me, this ties up so much of our trauma-informed lens. What do we want? Uh, We recognize Jesus offers refuge for people, that in the storm that is raging of life, Jesus offers a safe space. And we see that right throughout the four accounts of Jesus' life. The people who meet Jesus are the ones on the margins. They're the ones who've been hurt. They're the ones who've been silenced. And Jesus, despite the fact that he had every right to this wild claim to power, he used it to bring people in, raise people up. That's what he did life, we know that there are systems of empire and death and pain and hurt. And all of these words are tied up with concepts of trauma. And we want to say really loudly, as we sang in that song, uh, that life is coming from God, that God is a life-bringing being. So everything that we do right from our vision at New City Church that filters down, I hope is what we would call trauma-informed. Next slide. So what is trauma? That's, that's the, the million-dollar question. It's such a buzzword at the moment, isn't it? Um, I stubbed my toe yesterday. <laughs> trauma. Uh, it was. It was trauma to the toe. Um, uh, it, it's, it's one of those words that captures the zeitgeist of society, kind of the moral imagination at any given point, and people latch hold of it, and they start speaking about it. 
My fear is that we speak about trauma a lot in a way that is not necessarily helpful or we speak about it so much that it kind of becomes nothing. Um, and the same is true of trauma-informed care. When we speak about trauma-informed care, if we're not doing it in an integrated way, then actually we're doing more harm because we say this is a trauma-informed church, but then when it gets to actually our practices, if we're not doing it, then it's so damaging in the same way that we might rock up to a church that says everybody's welcome, yeah, only to discover a few months in that, oh, part of me, a really important part of me, isn't. And so when I say that we're a trauma-informed church, I'm quite nervous using those words. Um, and in fact, you won't see it anywhere on our website. Um, you won't see it in the way that we speak about ourselves because some people will come in and it won't feel safe not because of anything that we've done, but maybe because of something we've done, maybe something we've omitted. I don't want people to come in thinking everything's going to be perfect here at this church because it won't be. Guaranteed, if you hang around long enough, we will hurt you. <laughs> it's just what people do. It's just what people do. Um, and we will work to, I hope, amend that. But that's the reality of church, yeah? Um, it, do you hear what I'm saying? So when I say we're, we're aiming to be a trauma-informed church, I want to hold those words lightly and not promise anything, but at the same time hold them with a huge amount of gravity to say we need to do this. We need to do this. So what is trauma? Come back to our question. Oh, there's debate. There's debate. Okay. Um, there's a group of people... Uh, who would say trauma is anything that falls outside of your domain of functioning, okay, or outside of your domain of tolerance. So an example of that would be if I start feeling emotional to the point where I, I can't just bring myself back, that is an example of a traumatic incidence, okay? So it's, it's anything that falls outside of your domain of tolerance, and that varies for different people. It's, it's wildly different. So some people might have a huge tolerance, some people might have a really small tolerance, and so if, if anybody experiences something outside of that tolerance, that becomes danger zone, yeah? And then there's right through to people who would say, uh, the only things that are traumatic is if your life is in danger and you have no control over it, and that's the only instance of trauma. So there's everything be between those two polars that people, you can find a scholar to argue anything at that point. I, I tend to fall somewhere in the middle there that says there are times where you feel out of control and there is something dangerous happening and you don't know what to do about it. And that danger, okay, it might not be that your life is in danger, but it might be you're going to get hurt and that's bad. No one wants to get hurt. And so there is relational danger. And so you know that if anything goes wrong here, you're going to lose a bunch of relationships. It could be reputational danger. It could be spiritual danger. It could be danger in the realm of the future. So your, your future could be, there's all sorts of risks 
that we go through life. And if any of those, those, those elements are jeopardized, that's potentially trauma. Yeah? Does that make sense so far? Okay, so let me do a little exercise with you. Oh, no, I'm torn. No, I'm not going to do this exercise with you, and you'll thank me. You'll thank me. But here's the exercise that I have done with quite a few groups of people, and then you can tell me whether or not I should have done it, okay? So here's what I do with groups of people. I say to them, think of a song. So you, know, think, you can think of a song right now, a song that you know most of the lyrics to, okay? Uh, a song that you, you don't have to know them perfectly. Has everyone got a song? Nod when you've got a song. Yeah, I just want everyone to make sure that they've got a song. Okay, fantastic. And here's what I then do with people that I'm not going to do with you. I say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to point to someone and all you've got to do is just stand up and sing a verse of that song as loudly as you can. That's all you've got to do. And then I would leave it for a moment. I'd give people a chance to think. Um, and then I'd say, are we ready? Okay, here we go. And then I would say, it's okay. I'm not going to make you sing a song. Um, okay, but... Imagine that I've just forced you to go through that whole journey right then. Imagine, I'm, I'm feeling it myself now. What goes on in your body when something like that happens, when there is a risk to your reputation? Uh, what, what goes on at that point in your body? Who, uh, who would feel their stomach clench? You, m- most people would feel that. Who would feel their heart start racing? Most people would experience that. Um, do we have people who get the shakes? Yep. Uh, your cheeks flush? Yep. Um, your, my, my legs go wobbly. Um, I don't know if that's normal, but I, I just feel like, like, you know, it's kind of this jelly-like sensation that all of a sudden I'm like, I think I'm standing on ground. Um, your brain starts racing, and all of a sudden you don't know the lyrics to the song. They're gone. In fact, I don't think I chose a song. There wasn't no song. There are no songs. Um, like everything about your order of thinking goes out the window. Time does something funny. It either goes really fast and all of a sudden you're on your feet or it goes really slow and everything is going like You're sitting there panicking and time is just, it, it, it gets warped. Your pupils dilate. Yeah. You become bizarrely strong. If you were asked to lift a weight in that moment, you would do better in that moment than if I had asked you about 30 seconds prior. Um, Your blood vessels on the outside of your skin, they contract and all of your blood rushes towards your heart, to your stomach, to your brain. Uh, Your tongue goes dry. It's it's fairly extensive, isn't it? Even your toes start to go numb. Every part of your body suddenly kicks into gear because you're getting prepared to protect yourself, to protect whatever the hell it is that's going on, you to protect yourself from that. Now, in that instance, it's reputational. We think, evolutionarily speaking, the reason that we have this is because once upon a time, a saber-toothed tiger could be attacking us. And so we get ready. You've probably heard this to either fight, our body gets ready, or to flee, to, to run away, get out of there. Or we freeze, we just go down and we're quite in, in order for the danger to pass. Um, we 
stop making eye contact with Joel so he's not going to point at us and make us sing. Um, we, we do all of these things that are aiming at, yeah, that's it. We melt down, we shrink, we physically become smaller people because we want the danger to disappear as quickly as possible. Our body gets us ready. And it happens before you have even had a chance to register that there is danger. You haven't put words to the experience yet, but your body has sent cortisol coursing through your veins. You have adrenaline spiking and it's pumping through, getting you ready to fight the tiger. It is incredible, this response that happens. And it really is a marvelous design until you're getting that response and there is no danger. Yeah, until you're getting all of that response, but actually the danger was three years ago and you're still, ugh, and your heart's racing, your, your, your feet are quivering, your mind is going fast, slow, fast, slow. You're struggling to relate to people because you're dissociating and so you just can't make small talk and so you can't chat and so you can't make friends. And, and your body is having all of these really big emotions but the danger is no longer present. That's what trauma is. That's trauma. Trauma is the reality that you're going to keep experiencing experiences, even though the original experience is no longer happening. Yeah? There is a, a mind-body connection that enables you to fight, flight, freeze, even when that danger has passed. Yeah? That's, that's trauma. And it can take so many different forms. We speak about trauma in a few different ways. There can be acute trauma. That is typically one big event takes place. It might be a car crash might be the death of a loved one. It might, there, there's a moment in time that you can look back on and say, there it is. That's, that's the moment that my body responded in this, this mechanism of protection. And since then, whenever I smell something or see something or taste something or hear a conversation or listen to that song that reminds me of that moment, consciously or subconsciously, my body goes into the same response that I was in in that moment. So that's, that's acute trauma. Uh, then there's chronic trauma. Um, and that is far less researched, but I think far more prevalent. And that is the accumulation of many smaller moments. The accumulation of many smaller moments. And I think that's what most of us in here, if we would call ourselves people who've experienced trauma within the church, for many of us, that, that's what it is. We've experienced situations where we've sat in the pews and discovered, I'm not relationally safe in this space. And so our heart starts to pump because we're designed to live in deep connection to one another. We're designed to live in relationship. So when we discover that we're not safe in that space and then we discover it the week after and the week after and we go to Bible study and we experience it and we rock up to our school setting or our university setting or our Bible study setting and we discover that I'm, I'm not relationally safe in this space, if, if we keep discovering that, it, it accumulates. 
And we might call these micro traumas uh, or microaggressions. Uh, this is prevalent uh, not just among queer spaces, certainly. Um, we know that across the gamut of people from within minorities, there is micro trauma, there's microaggression, and that they accumulate to the point where, and this is where it becomes complicated, uh, we might call it disenfranchised trauma. That is, it's hard to explain. Nobody can really understand it because, like, nothing happened. Nothing bad really took place. Um, like, you were fine. You were never in danger. And yet, you know in your body that walking into a church on a Sunday, cortisol, boom. Adrenaline, boom. And you know that your body is saying the church is not a safe space. But it's hard to say that because there's not words to actually put the trauma into. It's, it, it doesn't fit in boxes. And so it gets complex and confusing. When you merge chronic and, chronic and acute trauma, you usually end up with complex trauma. Um, and that that is where it's, it's, it's layered upon layered. That's, that's the overview of trauma. Within that, we can talk about so many different types of trauma. We might talk about spiritual trauma um, and the way that being told impacts your um, We could talk about uh, identity dissonance as a form of trauma. When you want to follow Jesus, but being queer is wrong, but you also want to be queer because that's just who you are and you can't really help that. And they collide and your identities hit. That is a form of identity dissonance that, that's traumatic. Um, and so when we lump all these in together and then we say, hey, let's open a church where queer people are safe and we're going to have queer people and straight people and hetero and da da and we're going to put them all in the same room together uh, and... All of a sudden, we see trauma in the same space. And we know that uh, we know that humans mirror humans, yeah? And so one of the first things that normally happens in a space like this, if we're not super careful, is we start just bringing out our trauma and we repeat the trauma that was done to us to others because that's the pattern of behavior that we've learned. And we copy what we've experienced. And then the danger is that we become bitter at what we've been through. And when bitterness starts to sink in, it becomes really hard to find hope. And so there, there's, there's something of a danger of you walking through this door on any given Sunday. <laughs> that's the reality. Um, there's something of a danger. And yet we keep rocking up because we know that even though there's all of this trauma that is potential or actualized, all of this trauma that could happen, has happened, all, all of that, we know almost instinctively that we need to find a path forward. We can't just sit in where we've been. We can't stay there. We need to take steps. And sometimes they're baby steps, Sometimes they're leaps, and the leaps tend to not be great. So we say, no, take baby steps. Take, take these baby steps of healing 
so that you can find a space where, and this is where it, the magic lies. And I've seen it so many times, and it's uh, not just in this church, but in therapeutic space, like I've seen it, where people walk in physically hunched over because their muscles are so tight, because that's just what trauma does to the body. Your, your muscles are so tight, and you walk in, and slowly you start to breathe deeper. And as you breathe deeper, your parasympathetic nervous system starts to take over, and you can feel your muscles start to unwind. Sometimes this happens over an hour. Sometimes this happens over five years. Uh, but eventually, you start to find yourself in a much more relaxed state. And at that point, we can say we've started the journey towards trauma healing, I think. Next slide. Um, I think it will be good just to jump into a little bit of Bible and trauma because uh, it is a foundational book for our community, uh, and it has a lot to teach us. Um, Lindsay has already hinted at it. Um, which story would you find most traumatic? Being swallowed by a whale, discovering that you're pregnant with a child of God. Um, what was the third one? Well, walking around naked in a garden and finding a talking snake. I don't know which one would be more traumatic. Um, you, uh, uh, you read the Bible, and the Bible is, in reality, trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma, because trauma makes a good story. And so they're typically the ones that we write down. If you watch any given movie, any given book, there's going to be stories in there that are potentially traumatic because we love a story of hardship and of overcoming. And so the Bible, its, its narrative is just full of moments of hardship. But I don't think that's where we want to focus. Um, we, we all know that the Bible is full of people who've been hurt. We want to make the next step, and I want us to sit with the Bible as a response to trauma. And I think this is where much more interesting enlivening theology is taking place at the moment. I mean, the realm of trauma theology, it's, it's finding its feet as we speak. Um, the Bible as a response to trauma is really exciting because when you see that the nation of Israel was thrown into exile, displaced, we saw two weeks ago the temple as the center of this and Jerusalem, and Ezekiel saying, my God, why have you left the temple? We see this national trauma take place. And we, we know in Australia, particularly our First Nations people, the trauma that that comes with, the intergenerational trauma that goes through and through and through. Israel has experienced that. And then we zoom in and we recognize that all of these individuals within Israel have experienced that trauma, be it Ruth, be it Hagar, be it Ishmael, like the, the whole lot have experienced trauma. And so as we read their stories and as they write, that's what's in the background. And I think when we start reading the Bible as these people's response to what they've experienced, we start to see really exciting things like God is present in song, in the Psalms, when they cry out and they start to discover, I can use words, I can use language and poetry to start to work through my pain. Um, we, we think that so much of the Torah, the, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, were written in this period of exile, 
and they wrote it to pass on to the next generation this hope that one day they would go home, that one day they would find their land again. And so it's a generational thing. As they say, dear next generation, remember, this is what it was like. This is what it was like, and we're going to go there again. And so they, they write it so that they can bring about this sense of future hope. And then in comes Jesus, uh, and the authors of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're desperate for people to hear, particularly if you read John, he describes himself as the evangelist, because he's like, we have good news to all of you who are under the grip of the Roman Empire. We have good news that there's something bigger that we're a part of. And so I have a hunch that the Bible was written, yes, by the work of God, but far more immediately because people just needed hope. And so the Bible, I think, was a response to trauma. For me, as I sit with that idea, it brings up new ideas within Scripture. So I'm going to leave it at that, and uh, we're going to unpack it a little bit more as we go along over the next couple of weeks. But I, I think that's a really beautiful, we'd call it a hermeneutic for reading Scripture. So it's, it's a lens by which we can understand what we're reading. Okay, we're going to keep powering on. We're going to keep powering on. Um, and this is where I think we want to do the bulk of our work tonight, but we're not going to spend too much time um, these principles of healing that we're going to unpack as we go along. And these have been developed by an organization called Risking Connections in the States. Brilliant organization. Um, they've done a lot of research to kind of summarize what it is that people need in their, their journey of healing. And we can bring it down to this acronym of RICH. Before we get there, there's this big question mark over can we actually heal from trauma? Can it actually ever happen? And once again, uh, you can find practitioners and academics on either side of the spectrum. Uh, some that just say outright, no, uh, trauma is a wound that you will always carry. Uh, and then there's another side of the coin, which say, or the other end of the spectrum, where people will say, yeah, of course people can heal from trauma. Uh, and, and there are people everywhere in between. I'm on the ladder. I stand in the boat that says people can heal from trauma um, with a caveat. Um, life will look slightly different after that. Um, but when we take our histories and we have the ability to create new narratives, we can get to a point where those smells, those sights, those conversations, that music, they don't trigger us in the same way that they used to. In fact, we can hear them and say, wow, it doesn't trigger me anymore. And that, for me, constitutes healing. If we're aiming for more than that, such that you know, we forget that bad things ever happened, I think that's toxic positivity, and we avoid that. Um, we're real about the stuff that's happened, we create new narratives, and we move forward. Time does not heal all wounds. I was saying this to someone this week. Time does not heal all wounds. Time plus a shit ton of work can heal wounds. And so that's what we do. We do that hard work. So that, that's where I stand. Um, feel free to come at me and disagree. 
because um, I think there's, there's really good arguments either way. But let's jump into these, these four principles as we wrap up. If we as New City Church are going to be a space that is serious about healing trauma, about sitting in the stuff that's happened, about creating new narratives, about building safe spaces, we need to be a space that is fundamentally shaped by respect. And that is, you walk through these doors and you are no more important than me and I am no more important than you. Your journey matters. Everyone in here has their own perspective and has the right to be heard. That's the foundation of respect. I want to take it a little bit further to say, actually, we want to be respectful of development. So uh, particularly for young people, as we start getting young people in, we want to be respectful of where they're at on that development journey uh, and sit within that. We don't come with the same lens that they do. We're respectful of their development journey. We want to be respectful of culture uh, and make sure that we're taking that into account. Particularly when we have First Nations people in our community, we're respectful of intergenerational trauma and the impact that that has had. We're, we're respectful of people's stories, not just in our face-to-face, -face, but in the way that we engage, wanting always to have a gracious perspective that says there is more going on that I don't see. Yeah? That, that feels quite foundational and, and fairly intuitive, would you say? A little bit basic maybe. Like it's, it's there, but we just need to constantly be reminded of it. I stands for information sharing. Um, and interestingly, this becomes a really important one that we often just forget about because we're like, oh, we get, we're here for the emotional journey. We're here for the sitting with people, uh, for the journeying forward with each other. But sometimes we've just got to bring those cortexes online and say, I really don't get what Paul is talking about in Romans 1. And so we say, oh, okay, well, let's, let's gather some readings about that. We might say, I really don't understand the structure of the Catholic or the Anglican or the Uniting Church. I just don't get it. And why is that harmful? Okay, well, let's get some information on that. And let's study together why it is that power structures can be so harmful. Like, let's, let's nut that out together, use our brains, use the brains that God's given us, and explore what this means for us. It's bringing a book to church um, and, and giving it to someone to say, here, this is a book I found really helpful. It's flicking someone a website or a blog to say, this was information that I found super beneficial. It's brand jumping up and saying, this is what neurodiversity looks like in the church. It's Peter Norton coming in saying, hey, here's a book about Jesus' last days that I think could be really helpful. Like it's, it's what we aim to do as we share information, yeah? It's so beneficial and we can't underestimate that. Third is connection. Um, so we've got respect, information sharing, connection. We're going to unpack this quite a bit in the coming weeks. When Risking Connections, the organisation that has developed this framework of thinking, when they speak about it, they're speaking about connections to other people. And we've been saying so much, just by attending here on a Sunday, like just by rocking up, your presence is powerful. Just by being in the building or coming along on Zoom as you're able, just by existing in this space, you are declaring 
to everybody else in this space that you are worth me spending my Sunday afternoon with. That's valuable. Uh, Now, you might have stumbled through these doors and it was the last thing that you wanted to do. It's been a big week. But you rocked up. And so, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for choosing to spend your Sunday with this ragtag bunch of eclectic individuals. Because by being here, you have said, actually, they're they're kind of valuable. Um, They're kind of worth it. And that speaks volumes to me. And it speaks volumes to the person next to you. that is, that's, that's connection happening. Um, I hope also that you can sit here and see the reverse. Look at these people who've rocked up, who've said, you might be weird, but I really love you. I want to spend my time with you because you're valuable. That's, that's what we do when we gather. When we gather on a Sunday, when we gather through the week, when we gather at Vivid, when we, when we get together, That's what we're declaring. Connection is a funny thing because, actually, I was chatting to Thomas about this this afternoon. Um, So often we have really good conversations here that kind of dive into the nitty-gritty. But my experience of spaces that aren't so trauma-informed or perhaps are a bit more superficial is we go in and pretty soon after we start going deeper, someone's very quick to whip out a phone number of a counsellor and say, you should go and chat to this person uh, because they've got some really good ideas. Or check in and say, oh, I just want to check, like, are, are you speaking to a psychologist about some of these things? Now, psychologists, counsellors, psychiatrists, extraordinarily important. Don't, me, don't hear me at all say that they aren't. But I fear that one of the things that we've done in, uh, in medicalizing mental health is we have undermined our ability to have good conversations with the people who are already in our lives, yeah? So rather than saying, um, oh, have you chatted to a counsellor about this? Saying, oh, I want to upskill myself to understand how I can help you. It's a lot harder, uh, but so important. And so as a community, I am forever giving people counsellors and psychologists numbers but I'm also desperate for us as a community to connect at a point where at the pub afterwards or here or wherever you meet for coffee through the week, you can say, I'm really struggling. And you're surrounded by 40, 50 people who are ready to say, oh, yep, let's talk about that. Let's start this journey of healing because time is not going to heal your wounds, but time plus us connecting, us sharing information as I respect your journey That's going to start that process of healing, yeah? All of those are useless if we don't have the last one plugged in, and that is this idea of hope. We have to be a group of people who have hope. Thankfully, it's kind of embedded into our religion. It's really helpful. We have something right there. We have this incredible hope of a God who at least claims to be a resurrecting God, to be a God who is all about renewal and new life and new hope. That is something that we bring, I think, as a community that most spaces are going to have to find elsewhere. 
Um, but we have that with us. And so we can always say to each other, uh, I have hope that you're going to find healing in this journey um, because of the strength that you have, because of the strength that we have, but also because I believe in a Holy Spirit who is working. For me, that is such a foundation. And I might not say that to people outright, but that's what I'm thinking in the back of my head. Um, and I never, I never want to let go of that. Call me naive. Um, but I, I, I think it's been helpful for me to have that hope and to have that grounding. It's got me this far. Like, I, I, I think I really like that hope. Um, so where, wherever you come from, whatever your journey, whatever your faith tradition, whatever, you need to find a spark of hope that you bring into other people's healing and into your own healing. Yeah? So uh, respect, we share information, we connect, uh, and we build hope together. Um, this is the, the trauma-informed journey that I think our church needs to go on, um, that we need to have embedded into everything that we do. Um, we have done a lot of thinking about this already. Uh, the fact that every week our service leaders stand up the front and they say, feel free to walk out if you want. Um, that is us being trauma-informed. Um, us having a Sunday gathering every single week, rain, hail, or shine, is us being trauma-informed because we know that predictability is important, that connection is important. Us slowly adding the past nine months and warning people that we're going to have music is us being trauma-informed um, to say music's hard for people. There's so many little things that we want to build in, but it's just not the little things. It's the huge structures. And next week, we're going to be looking in our meeting about the way the board works and the finances and the power. We're going to unpack that a little bit as a church. Because I want trauma-informed care not just to be something that we say. I want it to be something that we do. If we say it and don't do it, it's extremely damaging. If we don't say it and don't do it, it's still extremely damaging. I want to be something that we say and embed into our community practice. And for what it's worth, uh, I'm so grateful that you have rocked up, even just for this, to, to be a part of this little bit of the journey because I think it's, it's going to shape the way that we practice church. All of this, all of this stems from the very real truth that I hold that every person is made in the image of God and has dignity and worth. My prayer is that for people as they come in through those doors who have forgotten that or been told that it's not true or who have had that beaten out of them, my prayer is that this will be a place where they can rekindle that, refind it. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing, but let me pray first. God, we thank you that you are the God of healing. You are the God who takes darkness and brings light. You're the one who bring, takes hurt and brings a balm for our wounds. God, we long to be a space of refuge and life as people discover all that Jesus is. Help us, God, to be a church that is informed by the reality of pain, that doesn't sit in that, uh, but moves onward to find healing. God, would we be a space that seeks 
healing, not just in ourselves, but also as a community, in the people who are sitting in the chairs next to us. And God, would we be a space that seeks healing in our community, in our country, as we pursue justice? So God, be with us as we journey into this high calling that you have for us. Would we not grow weary? Would you sustain us? Would you refresh us? God, we pray all of these things for the sake of your kingdom, which is glorious and emerging.